podcast listeners. This is your host, Chuck Tuck. So today I've got another special guest. Well, they're all special. I have a great time having a conversation with everybody and anybody. So if you have a talent, if you don't have a talent, but you want to talk about something, reach out to me and let's have you on the show as a guest. So, and as always, please subscribe, rate, follow, do everything and share podcasts. It definitely helps when you do that. So without further ado, let's get into this podcast episode. Yep, I'll leave the politics out of it. The only politic or anything political about this kind of stuff is who's your favorite band? Exactly. <laughs> Kiss, are you fucking kidding me? They suck. Kiss. Why do you listen to them? I don't know. <laughs> well, you definitely won't hear those words out of my mouth. <laughs> what, what kiss sucks or fuck yeah well no you hear those words <laughs> kiss, that kiss is my favorite band yeah well scott they used to be my favorite well mine too you know as a matter of fact my uh my i remember when kiss alive 2 came out my my mom i can't remember if it was for my birthday or what it was for she says you can go go get any album you want we'll take you to the record store and uh you know and i they took me to the store and i saw that kiss alive two album cover with them all you know made, made up and yeah. gene simmons and his blood and everything and i i had no idea who kiss was you know and and i'm like i want that album and my mom's like really <laughs> <laughs> so I, I i liked it when it came out and uh you know i played i played the shit out of it and uh but you know he he grows a musician i mean i gotta hand it to those guys they uh they are marketing geniuses yeah and uh you know they made money and it didn't matter that that they their songs were catchy even though they're simple you know yeah I, i think a lot of the songs are pretty simple like i said but they they there's a hook it was it was catchy um i mean rock and roll all night is going to go on for eternity just oh, like of course it's it way to heaven you know zeppelin kiss you got you've got one that's way up here you got one well to some is way down here but the both those songs are just going to go on forever well, of course they are and i have an inside a little inside story about uh about that and I got this from uh, Jeff Tate and Kelly Gray. Um, we're sitting around the green room one day. I don't remember how Kiss came up. And Kelly um, was talking about it with uh, Jeff, and the, they they had opened for Kiss, right on mm-hmm. tour. And I think it was um, Eddie Eddie Jackson. Eddie. <laughs> anyway, I guess uh, they're in the in the um green room and and uh, gene simmons came in and was chatting with them and uh they asked him something i mean i, I my story is probably not 100 percent accurate because I, I was just this is a few years ago i heard about this and uh he, he, and he was asking him some of the fact of uh, how do you go about writing songs and he and he goes um and i don't know if i should be saying this publicly <laughs> i'd have a phone call from gene simmons management but <laughs> He goes like, well, take this song for instance. And he played one of their biggest hits and strumming it on a, on a guitar because they had a guitar in there. And he goes, now watch this. And he changed the, the words and uh, the lyrics and it was a whole different song that they just stole the stole the, the progression from and then changed the words and made it their own song and it made it unrecognizable. And he says, that's how we write songs. But you know what? Now, you know, I'm this, I, this is secondhand information, third hand because it came through Jeff and Kelly and and uh through Eddie Jackson, and whatever. And so, you know, Gene, you listening, yeah, <laughs> you know, hey, Gene, this is just what I heard, you know, and, 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 <laughs> but it, 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 it lends a little validity from it because these guys, you know, have no reason to tell me otherwise. But I thought that was pretty funny, and you know, and uh, I think everybody's been guilty of that somewhat oh yeah i know i have of course i, I you know i just i just uh i just 
make it unrecognizable, change it, maybe change a couple chords in progression, change the way it's played, voicings on the guitar, uh, keyboards, you know, all this other stuff to it. And then it, uh, it morphs into something else. Yeah, well, you know, yeah. I mean, I think it's pretty genius. And I, I do the same thing. If I hear a new tune that comes out, not brand new, new to me, but, you know, an old one, I'm going, crap. If, if I just take the verse and make that a course and just kind of change something a little bit. Yeah. Um, you've got your own song, but you, you kind of not really lifted it or heisted it, but uh, it was a, it was a motivation. I don't know, motivational factor to jump in and write something. Well, if, if anybody calls me on it, if, which they never will, because it does anything I've done. It's not, it doesn't sound like anything else, but, but if, if I were ever called on it, I have, I came up with a perfect response. And I heard this from, uh, do, you, do you remember uh, uh, Howard Roberts? Jay mm-hmm. Roberts' dad? He yep. said this to me one day. And it, when, we were just teenagers, but uh, back when I used to, you know, go over to their house and stuff and the kids. And he said, he said, music is simple. Of course, he would say that because he's such a, you know, a, a monster musician. He goes, there are only 11 notes in music because the 12th note is the octave and there are only seven chords in a key. So that's what you have to choose from to write this plethora of, of songs. And that, you know, and that's yeah. it. And that's, that's music, basically, you know. Makes, I mean, it makes sense. You are limited with the number of different things, and it's a different yeah. octave, different key, or whatever. But it's pretty much all the same note. Yeah. And, you know, for me playing bass, I play with some guitar players, and I and I start playing, and then I come up here. They go, "Why do you do that? Why don't you stay down here?" I said, "Well, it, actually, it's the same note, but it sounds a little bit different on bass playing it on, uh, you know, of course, on a different position." Mm-hmm. It's so much easier if you go like that. I'm like, "Not, no, just let me do it my way." They just want to hear that bottom end all the time. Yeah. Yeah, they just want to, and let, they want to do all the, yeah, that's a guitar player for you. Yeah, Scott. <laughs> <laughs> My guest today is Scott Martin, who's been a guitar player in the Seattle area for many years. In fact, he's been playing for almost his entire life. We go over a lot of different things from his early days to current and his most recent claim to fame has been the guitar player for Jeff Tate's Operation Mindcrime. So sit back, listen to our conversation, and I hope you enjoy this. Please remember to share, like, and comment on all of these podcasts on wherever you listen to podcasts. Thank you. Hey, I mean, we're getting deep into this conversation, but for those of you, the people out there that don't know who you are right now, can you give a little bit of a background? I mean, you've been, you've been a guitar player, dude, forever. I mean, yeah, uh, see, I'm 57 and uh, I've been playing since I got my first guitar for my sixth birthday, I think it was. So 51 years, um, I'm, I'm just some guy. (laughs) <laughs> i got the who you know i've had a, a, a little bit of luck in my life so you know if, if you want to know if they don't know who i am i my main claim to fame i guess you would call it is uh, jeff tate from queens right i played on his solo record record originally back in 2001 recorded it toured it with him and then um Later on, he hired me as a guitar tech for Queensryche for a couple of years. And then when he left Queensryche, he hired me for Operation Mindcrime, which was his new band. And I, I did that with him. We put up uh, three records um, with that and toured all over the world for uh, since to, I joined in 2000. I think he left Queensryche in 2012. And uh, um, he put out his own Queensryche together for like a year. And then when, when the lawsuit ended and he couldn't do that anymore. And he hired me and, and it was me, Kelly Gray, Simon Wright from uh, ACDC and uh, Dio on drums. And we had uh, Rudy Sarzo for a minute and then uh, uh, John Moyer who 
who's a disturbed bass player, mm-hmm. joined the band. And that disturbed was on hiatus, so he played with us for like three years. And um, so that's, you know, and I, I did that ever since. And I just retired from the band in December. Um, uh, just, you know, touring and touring and touring and touring. And it's, it's a little tired. I got, I got married this year, this last year. And uh, and, I, and when COVID hit, I, got, I, uh, I had a, almost a year off. And, uh, and it was like, yeah, I'm enjoying this. And so... <laughs> And so I, I, I tell them and I thank them for their, you know, for all the fun times and, and uh, hired me and, you know, and, uh, and so now I'm just, uh, I built myself a recording studio down the basement. I'm doing some uh, engineering and uh, producing for some local groups here in, live in California, Northern California. And, uh, and yeah, so. I I was in a band in the in the nineties called the Voodoo Roosters with, with uh, you know Jason Saunders and all that and uh, we that was a uh, we we had a record deal for a, a couple albums and uh, we had the Tower Power Horn section play with us so it was a blues band so that was fun too I did that for a while so that if anybody wants to check out that it's uh it's on YouTube Voodoo, Voodoo Roosters. Um, and then, of course, Operation Mindcrime, the band, which has, there's three albums out. You can check all those out on YouTube, plus a bazillion fan filmed. And we had we did some uh, some uh, actual uh, real videos too, like four songs, I think. Yeah, that's right. I remember I seen one of them where you guys are going in and out of a car. Oh, it was a limo. A limo. The burn, the burn video. Yeah, the song's <laughs> called Burn, and it was funny. It was actually a fun video to do because uh, the, the uh, limo was stationary and they had, they had a camera crew inside on one side and then on the other filming the other the back seat. And uh, they had, had a guy outside the, outside the, uh, the windows running lights like this. Oh. So it looks like the band's, it's moving and a couple guys, you know, pushing on the hood and the, and the trunk. So you're kind of bouncing around. So it looked like we were moving. And uh, and he, he, Jeff sings the song sitting in the seat, and then a whole bunch of uh, guests appear next to him doing something really crazy and 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 weird and stupid, and, and then they'll vanish, and the next person shows up. So there's there's all kinds of, and we had to come up. Everyone had to come up with their own. What what are you gonna do when you when you're in the limo, you know? And so there's a. It was it turned out to be really entertaining. And uh, I had a I had a part where I actually almost burnt the limo down. <laughs> where uh, I had they wanted me to open this briefcase because it, it, the song was about it's kind of it's part of the trilogy and there, it was about a, a, a flash drive that, that was secret. You know they're trying to hide it and and it was explosive or something. I'm supposed to open up this briefcase and then they had a light inside it and and then. Then one of the the assistants would turn the light on, and I would like act like I'm blinded. So we did that, right? And that was kind of one of my 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 roles. I I appeared like four or five times, and that was one of the things I did. And and uh, well, and he goes cut, and so I shut the briefcase, and then the the assistant forgot to turn the light off that was in there. So also I'm sitting there, and we're discussing the next take or whatever, and then. My this laptop gets gets really hot on my lap, and then all of a sudden, smoke starts billowing out the side of the laptop. And I'm like, it's on fire! <laughs> oh man! And so we had to clear the limo out because it, it was the inside of the briefcase was foam, and so all the foam burnt and melted and filled the whole limo full of smoke. And the limo the limo owner was like, "Are you kidding me? I'm having to smell out." <laughs> <laughs> But if you watch the video, you'll see that that part where I open it up and I know that you, that about two minutes later, after that happened, I damn near burnt the, burnt the limo down. <laughs> the limo was filled with smoke. <laughs> oh, it was filled with smoke, and and then there's fire in the briefcase. Oh, jeez! When I opened it, it goes like, and so open the door and, and toss toss it out, and the smoke's filled. Yeah, it was it was. Uh, I'll forever remember that story then when I watch that video again. Yep, yep. It's uh, 
It's funny. Uh, some of the stuff that uh, you end up doing when you're a musician is just—it's crazy. I mean, I, I swear, it, us musicians have lived five people's lifetimes just in the crazy stuff that happens. You know. Uh, so I've heard. Yes. Yep. <laughs> and I'm sure you're—you're probably had your share as well, knowing you. <laughs> All little local small stuff. So. But, well, that, this was in Seattle. That was yeah, okay, when I was doing that okay. video. It was down, down in the, the, the warehouse district. Georgetown is where we were filming it. You know, it, it's, it's probably pretty, it's probably more, um, I don't want to use the word interesting, but it's, it's probably something that you've seen and realized and come across more often than I have that, there are so many people that you have known over the years that have stayed in the music business, uh, whether it be behind the scenes or in front as a musician. And some, unfortunately, have, have passed on, you know, like with Stan, uh, Stan one, yeah. one of your bands years ago. You know, here's this kid dreaming, oh, I'm going to do lights and I'm going to do sound. And, you know, That's half right. the people might think, why are you going to do that? Why is Scott, why are you going to be a musician? And you still are. and you toured the world and same with uh you know with stan and all yeah yeah before I, I was devastated when, when stan passed away yeah you know, people don't know who we're talking about he um my first band that played professionally at we were kids we played we were, we were called white lightning you remember and uh stan green was our light guy and uh we we're we played high school dances and uh he built a light show with homemade flash pots and in you know it was all he built himself a a wooden board with the uh, light switches on it to to run the lights you know and we're kids and uh he went on to work for uh robert cray he worked with me till through blonde taiwan which is another 80s band you know 80s cover yeah. band and then he he left and went to work for robert cray and then went from robert cray to black crows and then from there he got his the biggest break when he went to work for Tom Petty for 10 years. Yeah. And, uh, and so that's who we're, for people who don't know what we're talking about, Stan Green, he got his start with me back in 1979 with a little band called White Lightning. And, and, uh, and he made it, you know, he even made it much farther than I did working for a guy like Tom Petty. Holy cow. You know, that's, that's pretty impressive. Yeah. I mean, it's, that is really impressive. I mean, as well as what you've done because you've, you've pretty much your entire life stayed in music. And, you know, speaking of a white lightning, they're the other guys in the band. Um, I think they went on to do a couple of them, a Christian band. Right. Yeah. Yeah, they did. Uh, it was, that was, um, yeah, th that was a, a later version of white lightning when we were 16, 17 year olds. Uh, yeah, they did. And they, they actually made it on, on uh, Christian radio and toured. So, and they did quite well. And I still talk to those guys. Uh, um, Brett Williams is a, uh, was the other bassist guitar player guy, and he uh, he's a pastor now. Uh, he has his own church on Whidbey Island, I think. Yeah. And the drummer, who was the other other guy who left to do the Christian thing, is Vince Grant. He's he's a super successful in this city. But uh, they 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 did they did you know I was still playing cover tunes in Seattle. They're off touring, doing Christian rock all over all over the United States, you know. So. There's a yeah, a bunch of guys, and then the singer for Blanco and of course Lynn Sorensen went to play bass for for um, Paul Rogers for twelve years. You know, yeah. so a lot of the guys that I've worked with have have done stuff, and uh, it's pretty amazing that the small, especially in Seattle back in the seventies and eighties before mm -hmm. Brexit, there was nothing going on. We we're just a bunch of top forty musicians playing bars and high school dances and stuff like that and uh and several of those people strove to do something and did it you know yeah it's really cool and i mean right now you're finishing up a jazz album is it i am i uh i uh i when i was a kid i took like 16 years of jazz lessons uh from a guy named scott lindemuth in seattle and uh and so I have a jazz background, and uh, but I've never recorded any jazz. And uh, like two years ago, I uh, I thought, you know, why haven't I done that? 
I was still touring with Jeff. And so it was just in between tours and I'm home. I pick away at it, you know, and um, I've got, it's still not done, <laughs> but I've got all the songs uh, written. I, the last one, I, I still need to do a little production on it, but, uh, and uh, it's kind of a funny story now. I don't know if this is going to pan out in the way that I'm hoping because of COVID, but um, the, oh, because I work with Jeff over the years, a lot of, he has a lot of rock star friends, of course. And so they tend to come out to shows when if we come to their their hometown and they're not touring so you get over the years you get to meet all these people and, and of course it's inevitable that you're going to become friends with some of them right mm -hmm. and so i was uh, uh the drummer for cheers for fears jamie woolen and he him and i talk once every couple months right and uh and he he lives in canada like, like literally five miles from my parents and so him and I have a, have a lot in common. And uh, so we talk all the time. And, and was, this is like a year and a half ago. And he's like, he's like, so what are you, what are you doing other than Jeff? And I said, well, I'm starting to record this jazz record. And I said, he goes, oh, I love Jeff. Can I play on it? I'm like, uh, I can't afford to pay you, Jamie. Because, you know, he's, you know, and, and he goes, no, 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 no. I just, I just want to play on it. I don't get to play jazz. And, uh, so, well, if, if you want to, you can cameo on a song or whatever you want. He says, yeah, yeah, yeah. And so um, I kind of got the idea of that maybe I could get some other of uh, these friends of mine. And so I've got a, a couple others that have uh, agreed to. And, uh, you know, and it doesn't mean much. It's, I mean, it just means something to me because I'll have some of my friends, world-class friends playing on it. So I don't expect anything out of this jazz record you know i don't expect to go become lee rittenauer you know <laughs> <laughs> uh, but it's just you know i was thinking i just do you know have some, as many people cameo on it that i can and uh that and then call it scotty and friends and just you know do whatever with it you know so it's just not it's not anything serious but it's a lot of fun and it, it is pop jazz like kind of like lee rittenauer ish that's in that style you know Bony James, that kind of thing. So it's fun, happy. Uh, you know, it's not weird avant-garde jazz or anything like that. So yeah, I just I don't have to try and work that hard <laughs> to, <laughs> to try and come up with that kind that kind of jazz. You know, it's like no, nah, nah, I'm just gonna do. Step Remember, pop, there pop. are only seven chords and eleven notes. No. No, somehow those guys seem to find more. I don't know where they find them from, but yeah. you know, it's and, and I'm not putting it down because I it's just uh, it's just not too much. It'd be too much work to. And you know, the the market for that type of jazz is business. People like just kick back and listen to something that's relaxing. That's kind of what I'm doing. Um, the only bass player, well, Corey Sandall actually, who's he's actually the old bass player for he did he did a track for me. Um, and just because he's an old friend, I thought, oh, you know, uh, I'll see what he, if he wants to do it. And so he he sent me one. The, uh, the only bass player that's famous that I've asked is John Moyer, Mister, because he's played with me for three years. But he's so busy. Mm. He's like he's not he's not far from me right now. He's in Santa Cruz uh, uh, producing a record. He when he's not touring with. Uh, with uh disturbed he's always he seems to be producing somebody so it's like every time i i uh i don't want to bug him you know it's like yeah john you know he's oh i, I see that he's pretty he's over here producing this so i was like oh I, eventually i'll probably nail him down but i'm in no rush to put it out i'm just i want to get, get my friends on it you know and uh and uh jamie's got i gave jamie six tunes uh uh, recently from to choose from so i'm just waiting for hmm. what he wants to do and uh just you know so i'm just uh just chilling on that just uh stuff's done all, all the pre-production's done just need to replace tracks yeah, i've uh, i played the bass on, on the pre-production so i just need you know anybody if i just send it to him do whatever you want i, I just like you know if it's somebody that, that I know is, is really good, they're probably going to play be something better than I did anyway. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
so you know yeah yeah I'm, I'm down for it it's it's just a fun project for me to pick away at and uh, but all my stuff is done i'm just waiting for some a couple of drummers uh anyone wants to play bass and uh, um I'm actually going to have, uh, I asked Bruno Saw, who was the old keyboard player for Operation Minecraft for Bit, and he's played with um, uh, quite a few other people. He's down in Brazil, and he said he would do it. I just haven't sent him anything yet. Huh. And, uh, and um, I'm looking for a good sax player, too, to do some sax, sax work. So um, A great sax player or just somebody that's really good either or i actually even thought about uh scotty harris uh who used to be in he's a seattle guy uh, do you know scotty he's uh i don't he played sax in the voodoo roosters um and uh he now because he couldn't get enough work in seattle playing sax he now plays bass in, in local bands down there up there and so I've talked thought about him and uh, but I, I'm not uh, I don't know a lot of, uh, of uh, world class sax players unfortunately yeah. so I got a lot of songs of sax on of course they're it's all uh, at the moment it's all fake sax <laughs> keyboards right yep I mean, it sounds close but it, I want I want a real good sax player uh, or a couple of them there's one locally here that's going to do a song, but me uh, uh, anyway. That's that's what uh, I've been picking away at um, as far as uh, my my own personal stuff. I'm, I haven't been uh, writing any rock music or anything like that, like that lately. Are you burnt out on that uh, no, genre? No, not at all. Um, I just don't have a an outlet for it really. Um, uh, I, you know, I wrote so much for Jeff when we, we put out the trilogy, those three albums. It's a, it was a uh, concept trilogy where instead of a concept record, it was three records that told an entire story. Mm -hmm. And Jeff was really ambitious when we first formed the group. He says, I want to, I want to do this story. I want to do three albums of it, but I want to, I want to, not tour for a year the very first year and i want to get all three records recorded written and recorded which is super ambitious and we never made it uh so we got like the first first album done and this half the second and half the third kind of and so we ended up finishing i think by 2017 we finished it all but um i when i wrote for jeff when he first joined the band i didn't he didn't even know what the entire story was going to be and so i'm like how do I write for you when I don't know what you're looking for, right? <laughs> and so he told me, how about this? He goes, um, let's write based upon emotions. He goes, uh, you know, write me an angry song, write me a melancholy song, write me a happy song, write me a, you know, hmm. uh, uh, you know that kind of thing. So I'm writing songs for him. I wrote 48 song ideas within that year and he ended up using 13 of them, which I was happy with, but you know, I'm 30, and there's 32 songs. And wow. So I got over a third of the writing credits on that stuff. But I used to send them, I, I, I would uh, think, okay, angry, you know, and I'm trying to get in a mindset. I'd play some angry other bands, angry music, just to get, get uh, you know, in that headspace, and then I write an angry song. And then I'd send it to him. I call it Angry One, and then I would send him Angry Two, and Angry Three, and then you know Happy One, Happy Two, Happy Three. And the funny thing was, is the way it worked is, um, except for recording drums, we didn't really get together in the studio um, too much. It was like sending files back and forth, right? And uh, I'd send him a song I did. You know, if I didn't hear anything back from him, I know he didn't like it, right? And and <laughs> but if he did, <clears throat> he would he would uh, call me and say, "I like this one," because uh, I would never send him complete ideas. I would say send him intro verse bridge chorus, and mm -hmm. that's it. Because if he doesn't like it, why do I want to you know try and pr to produce this entire? And he, plus he's gonna he's gonna chop it up and change it and whatever anyway. So and he would say, "Okay, 
give me more of this to maybe extend extend it out you know different i give me a middle eight section too or whatever and then and then i would do all that and i i give it to him i send it back to him and and then he would uh i would never i wouldn't hear from him again about it and i think oh well maybe he didn't like it and then i remember a couple of times when the like, when the first record came out i remember i wasn't even there when it was being mixed or anything so i hadn't heard the songs i mean i'd given all these songs in it, but i hadn't heard them i they some of them i would get uh, that I didn't write, they would say, we need you to put guitar on this. And, and but I would get a, a rough, unfinished version because they can cut and paste your guitar parts around. And so I, you know, I would do something on it, on these other songs and, and, and then send it back and then I wouldn't hear it again. And then I remember the album's finished mixing done. And I'm like, okay, I want to hear the record. And I'm listening to it and I'm thinking, you know, get, get through the songs and everything. okay, that's the song I wrote. Whatever, and I hear one and like this is kind of different. This is kind of cool. And then I'm like, and all of a sudden, like a minute in, I realize it's one of the songs I wrote. But, <laughs> but and what I had in mind was not what he had. When he heard it, he heard something completely different, you know. And so he morphed it, you know, with production and cutting and pasting and doing stuff into something I didn't recognize for quite a while until they got into parts, you know, that, uh, that were signature. Mm -hmm. Like, holy crap, this is, this is one of my songs I wrote, you know? And, uh, and so it was kind of, it was kind of fun in a way, because you never know what I was going to hear because we never did anything as a, as a group. Yeah. Isn't that crazy now? I mean, how nowadays we can do that. We can record in our own studio here. Like I said, send the file off to another musician. They lay it down, and then the, all the tracks come back to one person, and then they master it, and then you've yeah. got a full album. I mean, it's just crazy. Exactly. You know, Kelly Gray was producing it, and he's uh, he's Mr. Prog likes to, and so he'll chop things up and and you know, cut cut uh, beats out of measures and do all this stuff and realign realign everything and. Uh, take what you thought was going to be the verse and that becomes the chorus and the chorus, you know, and, and do all this crazy stuff. So it's, the song can, can become almost unrecognizable, even though they're using all the, um, the same, the parts that you, that you did, you know, they, you know, and so it's, it, it's, it's fun. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and sometimes it can be frustrating. Like, Oh man, what I gave him, you know, I thought it was going to be like this. And, it's, and then then you listen to it a few times. It's like, okay, I see why you did that. It's actually cooler than what I said. <laughs> you know? It's like, wait a you, second. That's not you, my song. It's like, <laughs> yes, it is. It's your song. Yeah. And so, you know, you can't, I know that, I know working with other bands when they like doing uh, any uh, recording with them or producing it, like, so this section is droney. You know, you need, we need to, do something to keep the user's attention because these days people listen to a song they've never heard before. They doesn't catch them right away and, and keep their interest. They'll just hit next on, on Spotify or whatever, you know? And, and so you, you've got to, you, you've got to spend the time to take a song, especially if you're not a super, if you're not already got hit records out there, you, you have your formulas and you know what to do. And so, and so there's a lot of musicians that get they get tied to what they've written because they mm -hmm. may have rehearsed the song before I ever heard it, you know, for a year. Who knows? And so they, it's cemented in their brain, and uh, and, and so you, sometimes you got you got to be delicate, but you also have to be say, this is what I see that uh, this this part of the song. I mean, it's cool, it's great, but it maybe we could do this to it to maintain the energy level or drop the energy level if it's too mm -hmm. high energy you need you need some you need some uh, relief you need you know uh, it's got to flow it's got to do something it's i think that's why it's to me at least it, i think it's important to have a producer absolutely that's not in, in the band as in the band. band musician to listen and say no nah, you know where do you want to go do you want to make it commercial or do you want to just please yourself what is it that you're trying to do right. we and want to sell records right if you want to please yourself that's fine too i mean if you yeah. just want to have 
have your hey this is i made my cd and he says this is my song and it's just for you and your friends that's hey there's nothing wrong with that nope nothing nothing wrong with it if you're if you have aspirations to become do something bigger you know it's unless you're a guy like prince or someone like that who's just got that mind um and, and they can step outside their own body and, and look at a piece of work objectively and from a, a producer standpoint uh which is, is very rare and even even guys that that have producing abilities can when their own music can get locked into something and uh, have a hard time breaking out of that that box you know yeah or you could be nickelback and you can have that formula or that i mean there's nothing wrong with that either you know everybody loves to hate nickelback but those guys are you know they're geniuses man they're i i have nothing bad to say about that band and i admit it freely so all you everybody out there can make fun of me anybody who's listening they can say that's scott mine what is he thinking but you know what I would love to be a Nickelback. <laughs> you know, it, it's it's the same thing where everybody makes fun of them, but they sell out all their shows and they exactly. sell millions of records. Exactly. Kiss. Oh, I hate Kiss, but everybody goes for the past forty five years. You know, exactly. And, and disco, disco sucks, but disco. Then you're listening to it, you're like, oh yeah, I like that song. Hang tight, and I'll be right back with the rest of this conversation with Scott Martin. Aside from producing and writing his own jazz record, Scott talks about what he's doing locally as a musician. That's funny you bring that up because I, I formed a local little local band here uh, just to play around wineries because I live in wine country, and um, we play seventies pop, which includes some disco, and uh, we play like uh, Steely Dan or Spoon and Fire. It was you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, that kind of stuff we just learned baby come back by player man oh, baby, baby come back, back. <laughs> yep i was wrong yeah, yeah. That, that kind of music and you know because everybody up here just plays classic rock you know and and uh I'm, that bores me to death classic rock just play i mean i you played those songs when they're hits you know and so yeah and if it's not after it's not something over and above like you know steely dance it's their pop jazz band that turned it into pop music you know and that this stuff's difficult so and so that's that's kind of my little side thing here and, and actually our drummer um his name's rick deputy he he was a drummer for montrose and he's retired up here and he was uh tommy two-tone Mm-hmm. Eight, eight, six, seven, five, three. No, you know. Yeah. Um, and then he went to became an audio engineer. He worked for Tower Power for five years, and then for the last twenty years, he's been with Los Lobos. And he did the same thing I did. When COVID hit, we kind of formed this little group. And then he was still with Lobos, and uh, he, after he had a year off, he's like, I don't really want to go back. You know, and so he retired as well. So you know, we we. Uh, we do a lot of sequencing the keyboards. We're just a trio, but we got this big, big sound, you know, because that's kind of the world I've been in so many years. So it's a, uh, it, but it's a lot of fun. It's just something to do up here. And, uh, and, uh, you know, and actually I haven't played cover tunes since 1990. So for me, it's actually fun again, you know? Yeah. Where I thought, you know, I always wanted to be a rock star. Da, 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 da. And so, you know, after doing all that, it's like I never thought, you know, I would love to play a cover tunes again. But through the right cover tunes, I'm actually having a lot of fun doing it. You know, it's something. And we've been doing that. We don't just play like your the typical ones either. Like uh, uh, we play like uh, Black Cow by Stuart Dan. You know, we're not playing really in years. You know, mm-hmm. you know, we do that one and. and uh, peg and and then earth wind and fire is we play serpentine fire which is something that you know when i've never heard a band play that song before yeah yeah except for, except for them mm-hmm. <laughs> live but you know so we try and pick the songs that were on the radio also the songs that um you, you know that uh 
you don't really hear other bands do low down by boss gangs things like that yeah and so and so we, that's what that was our goal we all got together so i don't want to we don't want to be bored you know so we choose songs that uh that people go oh i remember that song yeah you know and then be excited about it mm-hmm. never hear it anymore and it, but it's a song that was you know big on the radio at the time you know up here is a lot of retired people so it's um you know the older it's an older crowd in general and so they they really enjoy what, what we do and uh, and you know we don't gig out a lot i, I think we got maybe 10 10 gigs throughout the summer you know it's just it's just something fun to do at this point of our conversation we talked about what it's like being on the road as a national touring act then we kind of took a step back and talked about the first time he'd actually been on tour uh, like I said, you, you did years of the being on the road and um i've heard this too from several other people where that one year or almost a year of being off from playing live uh they just don't want to go back to playing live they said i like doing what i do now and i have time with my family and like you said you yeah. just recently got married so yeah. i mean i don't see how at 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 our age, you know, yeah. get married and then you're like, honey, I'll be back in three months. I'm hitting the road. Exactly. Yeah. You know, she suffered through that because uh, uh, we we uh, dated for four years before we got married. So, wow. And so she was used, you know, used to me always being gone. And uh, but she didn't ever complained about it. You know, she might go, oh, you leave again. But, you know, it wasn't serious complaining. You just, you know. Uh, and so and that I loved her for because uh, that's so tough on, on um, you know, your, sp- your spouse or even somebody you're just dating when, if you're, you're gone so much. Yeah. And, uh, you know, okay, honey, drive me to the airport. I'll see you in six weeks, you know. And you come home and you're home for a month and then drive me to the airport. I'll see you in six to eight weeks, you know? And so it requires a lot of uh, extra work in your relationship. You got to, when you're on the road, you're always in communication, you know, including, uh, including her in what I'm doing, you know, as best I can, obviously. Yeah. And you, you got to have such a strong relationship, I think, with that. Cause you know, no matter how old you are, you have, you, people tend to conjure up this imagination of, oh, they're on the road. There's groupies everywhere and they're going to be doing this and that. But I don't think this is just my take. I don't think it's so much as true like that nowadays for rock stars or rock and roll. Like when we were growing up. Oh yeah. It's definitely uh, not. Unless, unless you're Justin Bieber or somebody, I may have to beat that out. (laughs) (laughs) Um, but yeah, it, 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 I don't see it being like that, like, uh, like it was for Def Leppard when they were first no, coming no, up, like it was it. for Van Halen and stuff. No, you see that there's a meme out there that, that, that says it perfectly, where you, it shows two pictures, one of guys with these half-naked women, you know, crazy, and then, then that, this is what you, people think it is, and then the picture of four guys sitting in a green room on the couches on their phone and that's how it really is yeah that's what it is literally when you're sitting there on the on the road where you, you have a crew setting up and you know you don't do anything until sound check you do uh sound checks maybe last a half hour if that and uh, then you sit till dinner and then you have your dinner and then you sit while the opening acts do their thing you know, and then you maybe get dressed half hour before you're on, and then you go to your show, and then that's it. That's your life. And then you get on the tour bus, and you crawl in your bunk, and you wake up the next morning or in the next place, and it's just, it's a routine that, that doesn't change. And you know, unless you got, you got to gotta do a lot of radio shows sometimes. You got to get up earlier, and you normally would go to the radio station and do whatever. But uh, yeah. So what I would do is, is I would, um, I would try to, as long as we were in the United States and not off in Europe or something, but I would try to pick somewhere in the tour where we were somewhere nice 
and I'd fly Michelle out and she would ride the tour bus with us for like three or four days and then drop her at the airport at, at, at whatever city, you know, we end up at and fly her home just so she could come out, you know, be with me and, uh, and then also be able to see what the, the life was really, what it really is, not what I think it is. Yeah, right. It's not glamorous like you <laughs> think. It's not glamorous, no. It's not glamorous at all. Uh, it has its moments of fun, of course, otherwise you wouldn't do it. But uh, yeah, being on stage, of course, is always fun. Uh, at what age were you when you first took like a, a national tour? Um, a full national tour? Or just, I, you know, just on the road for a couple of weeks type of deal? Um, uh, well, a lot of time, I only even did that for a couple of weeks. Um, that way, but that really doesn't count. I mean, maybe down to Oregon or Northern California or something like that. But uh, full on national tour, uh, even the Voodoo Roosters was uh, mostly Western United States. But uh, with Jeff was in 2001. Uh, so I was, uh, what was it, in 2001? I was 20 years younger. I was 37. So have you, um, have you seen the tour life or anything like that uh, that's changed over the past 20 years then, we'll say, from 2000? Oh, yeah. Lots of it has changed. Um, back then, uh, cell phones were still expensive you couldn't just uh, call on a cell phone uh, from wherever you were um, it was still like a dollar a minute or something or you know when you had to block the you know it was a smartphone and uh, a lot of the times uh, so we you know calling home to talk to the kids or you know the ex-wife back then i would usually do it from a hotel room and, and we limit it to once or twice a week because just you could rack up hundreds and hundreds of dollars in phone calls, you know. And so that is a nowadays you can just pick up, hit FaceTime, and off you are. You, 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 it's like you're together. Um, the and uh, I think uh, back then you were treated more like a rock star. Uh, they were more excited to see you because you didn't have. You didn't have YouTube. You didn't have um, uh, the accessibility of uh, seeing a band live just on just by clicking on your computer and uh, see what these guys look at. There's still there's still a little bit of mystery mm -hmm. to to the industry back then. Of course, it was going away at that point because you had Napster and all that that uh, was destroying the industry. But uh, people still had to really go see it. A live show to yeah. to experience the band nowadays i mean you don't make any money off of royalties because everyone downloads their stuff or listens to spotify and uh and then if they want to see the band they could just uh see the video bands put out their videos for free nowadays that used to be you know watch them on mtv but there wasn't really usually a live show it's some band lip-syncing and doing some scenario you know mm -hmm. you know it's actually more like a little story it's you know it's not actually watching the band live i know this is one of those typical questions that everybody asks everybody and anybody who's in any type of show business but i had to ask so i asked scott how would a band go about making money or a living nowadays so how would you think a band could make money uh nowadays or, or 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 is it just become now a hobby because it's so difficult to make it a uh, a living so you make a band put out a song don't expect to uh make a living out of it but you might make a couple of couple of pennies here and there so how would somebody go about trying to make it successful being successful right now and music? that's a hard question you know i can tell you what jeff says yeah yeah, uh, and this is funny. And he's he was he was half uh, he was half serious when he said this too. Is that he goes, man? These these tribute bands are drawing more people than 
than I do. So please write tribute bands and whatnot. And, uh, and sometimes, not always, of course, but yeah. it's like, I should just call up uh, um, the guys that had left Queensryche at that point. I should call up DeGarmo and I should call up Scott Rockenfeld. We should form a Queensryche t- tribute band and go out and play. And we'll, and we'll, we'll be packing in 10,000 people. <laughs> so it, that's my, if you want to make money in this industry right now, do a tribute band and do it right. Look like the band, sound like them, put on the whole show, you know, and these bands are, you know, I have a couple of friends that are in national tribute bands and, and they're, they make $10,000 a show and they're playing big casinos and, you know, and, and uh, they're making big money. Um, but if you want to, I'm sure your question was more geared towards original music. Exactly. I have a friend of mine named Dave Moody. He used to, he used to be uh, Billy Ray Cyrus's bass player, right? And uh, uh, he was, uh, up until this week, he was a singer for a band called Thunderstruck. And the, the ACDC thing, they had the cannons, they had, you know, they had the whole the whole nine yards and, and they were touring all the United States. And now he, he just announced he's uh, going to work for Hairball. I don't know if you've heard of Hairball. No. They're another huge, where they, they have, the whole huge when you see them play it's they're playing to ten thousand people and are you one of those pants so they're like a steel panther yeah exactly that kind of thing and uh you know so obviously steel panther took it to the highest level yeah but it's the same thing there's no different you know so if you really want that's where the money is these days in the industry unless of course uh country country music is still thriving it's probably the only genre I hate that word genre, but it's the only style of music that uh, uh, is still, uh, you know, still like a rock star. Well, there you have it. That was a podcast with Scott Martin. So thank you again for listening to my podcast show. And as always, please rate, like, comment, and follow, subscribe no matter where you're listening to this podcast on. It definitely helps if you give it a ranking or a rating and comment. So please be generous and give me five stars. This is Chuck Tuck, your host. Until next time, keep a smile on your face and keep things moving forward.